But today, um, today I've got the opportunity to start a brand new series with you here today. And uh, so I want to start off by asking you a question. Um, you don't need to shout out the answer, but I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to think about what's the best gift you ever received, right? Coming out of Christmas, maybe some of you were like, I just received it. But what's the best present that you ever got? And I was thinking about that this week, and when I was a teenager, I had my driver's license, I did not have a vehicle, and one day my dad surprised me with my very own vehicle, he surprised me with a truck. He, just one day, he, he like showed up with his truck, he's like, this is yours. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea about my family, it was a 1980 Chevy S10, what he gave me, and there was no back window on it. And uh, which, so I mean, I'm not, it was a great, it was a great gift. I'm not saying, I just, it wasn't like brand new, but it had no back window on it. So I would drive it to school and my friends would throw things in the cab of my, in my truck, you know, when I was, when I was uh, in class. Uh, but it was a fantastic gift. It was awesome. It was, it was totally a surprise and it, and it gave me a lot of freedom. So, you know, the thing about that gift is when my dad gave me that truck, he wasn't like, all right, here you go, Scott. Now, just so you know, if you take the keys from my hand, uh, you're committing to take care of me in my old age. That's kind of the strings attached to this gift. Maybe he should have done that. I don't know, but, but he didn't, right? It was just a gift. It was unconditional, and that's the best kind of gifts. Because we know what it's like to get a gift with strings attached, right? You get this email that says, congratulations, you get a free steak dinner. All you have to do is sit through a retirement pitch for 45 minutes, right? Or, you know, you, can, you buy this, this tech thing and it's, it's, it's really cheap. You get it as a deal. Maybe you get it given away and then to make it work, you have to buy all kinds of stuff to add on to make it really work, to make it do what it's supposed to do, right? There's, there's often strings attached. But the best kind of gifts don't have strings attached, right? We just had Christmas. I got four kids. I gave my children gifts for Christmas. And they, gave those gifts, they got those gifts whether they deserved them or not. Honestly, they didn't even have to be that good. Their behavior wasn't all that great, really. And they still got those Christmas gifts. And, and I want you to think about gifts today because what we're talking about is, uh, in this new series are the kinds of gifts that God gives to us. We're talking about the fact uh, that God is like a, like a good parent, like a great parent, or like a caring friend who gives a gift, God is like that to us, and specifically to His people, to those who trust in Him. So in this series, we're going to talk about how God is a generous God. If you know what it's like to receive a great gift, then you know something of the character of God, because He is a generous God, and He's a generous God that not only gives us gifts, He doesn't do that frivolously or randomly he gives gifts that help us when we need it most. And so that's why this series is called Help Wanted. God's grace is the help you need. We're going to see how God reaches out to us and helps us. And the biblical word for God's help is grace. That's what we're going to spend four weeks talking about. We're going to talk about grace. Now, the word grace might bring up all kinds of different ideas in your mind. You might think of, when you hear the word grace, you might think of uh, a girl's name, a woman's name, Grace. My daughter, her name is Trinity Grace Kreps. And so Trinity after the Matrix and Grace after God's... Not really. That's not what it was. Because my wife's here, so i got to pretend that's not what it was, right? Grace, like God's grace. So it's, it's a wonderful name to give somebody, Grace. When you think of grace, when you hear the word grace, you, maybe you think of a name, maybe you think of saying grace before a meal, you know, prayer. But that's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about the biblical understanding of how God helps us, how God comes into our lives and changes everything. In fact, I'm so glad you're here today because 
studying the idea, understanding and putting into practice God's grace into your life is one of the most revolutionary things that you can do. If you understand God's grace, if you receive God's grace in your life, it has the power to change your life today. It'll show you God in new ways. It'll change the way you relate to other people as a spouse, as a parent, as, as a friend. Grace has the ability to change and transform everything in your life. And so I'm so excited to dig deep into grace with you over the next four weeks. Now, before we get into what the Bible has to say about grace, uh, I want you to kind of give you a definition of grace as we talk about today, by the way. I missed this already. Our title slide, Help is on the Way. That's what we're talking about. But I want to go right to the definition of grace. Grace, and you don't need to memorize this, okay, but just so you know, grace is the quality of God's character by which He helps us and blesses us with good gifts without requiring anything in return. So let's just kind of break that down for a moment. Grace is a quality of God. It's, it's part of His character. It's one of His attributes. It's one of His characteristics. He is a gracious God. He is filled with grace. And grace is what He uses to help us. If you want to know what, a, just like a quick definition of God's grace, it's God's help in your life. God helps us and He blesses us. Isn't that awesome that God blesses us? I know a lot of people have a view of God that think, you think of God and maybe you think that God isn't really for you or He doesn't really want what's best for you or He's trying to rob your fun. A lot of people falsely have that idea of that's who God is. But it says there, but look what God's grace shows us, that God helps us and blesses us with good gifts without requiring anything in return. He just gives them to us extravagantly, lavishly, because that's what He longs to do. Grace means that God deals with us on the basis of His goodness and His generosity. Grace means that God deals with you and me based on our needs, not based on our merit or our worthiness. You know, we don't earn God's grace, as we're going to see. We don't deserve God's grace but He just gives it to us because we need it. Grace is when God steps into your life and helps you. Grace means that you receive something from God that you didn't earn, you don't deserve it, and you can't pay it back. Now, the reason why we're going to spend four weeks talking about grace is because a lot of people get confused by the concept of grace, right? There's a lot of kind of different ideas about what is God's grace. Probably a lot of people, even if you've never been to church before, you've heard of God's grace before. You've heard the song Amazing Grace, right? Well, what is that grace that we're talking about? Maybe when you hear the word grace, you think of the old saying, God helps those who help themselves. Is that God's grace? Well, that's not in the Bible, and it's not true. So, no, (laughs) that's not God's grace. Maybe when you think of God's grace, you think, well, well, how is it that God can really help me without me doing anything, without me contributing to it? Like, surely I need to do something. Or maybe you think, well, yeah, God is going to be gracious to me, but, you know, I need to earn His favor. I, I need to make sure that I measure up so that I'm, in some sense, worthy to earn His grace. So we're going to deal with all of that today and in the, in the weeks to come. One thing I know is this, that you will be blessed by understanding what the Bible has to say about God's grace. And the more you have experienced God's grace in your life, the more it will change you. And so I hope that you will pray and ask God to change you as you know and experience more of His grace throughout the month of January as we talk about these things. So, so with that all in mind, 
let's begin to look and see what God has to say about how He applies His grace to us individually in our lives today. And the first place we need to start is this. We are desperate, in desperate need of God's help. We are in desperate need of God's help. Now, most people, as far as I can tell, most people don't love to ask for help, right? Most people don't, don't love to say, hey, I need help. Bail me out. Yesterday morning, I got up, um, and I got up a little earlier than everyone else before everyone else was really moving around, and I decided to make breakfast. I was going to make waffles and bacon and hash browns, and I started making it, and I realized I need help. But guess what? The one thing I was never going to tell my wife, I need help. I was like, I'm just going to push through it because I don't know why, because I'm not very bright. That's why. And so I risked our breakfast because I wanted to prove a point to myself. I don't know. That's not very bright. That's not very smart. But it shows that we don't love to ask for help. Humans don't love to ask for help. And the reality is we need a lot of help. Look at our world. Look at all the violence, look at the oppression, abuse of power, greed, deceitfulness. We need help. Look at the way we treat each other. Look at the way we act morally, ethically, spiritually. We are in trouble. We mistreat one another, whether that's in the office or on the battlefield. We need help. We need help. And it's not just criminals and dictators who need help. We all do, every single one of us. The Bible says that there is a problem inside each and every one of us that needs help. We need rescuing. Just to underscore this point, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God, All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Okay, let me pull out a few things in this passage. This passage shows us how deeply we need God's help. You know, I I hope one of the things that you'll walk away from here today is saying, okay, I need help. I need God's help. I can't do it on my own. I'm too messed up. I'm too needy. What I need to overcome is too great. I can't do it on my own. I need God's help. And Ephesians 2 just outlines that for us, right? It says that we are alienated from God. Let's go back. We're alienated from God. We're dead because of our disobedience and our many sins. Sin is anytime we fall short of God's standard. God says, here's how you're supposed to live your life. Anytime we don't do that, we fall short of that. That's sin. Anytime we we do the wrong thing, we fail to do the right thing, it's sin. So we all sin. In the Bible here, uh, in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul who wrote the book of Ephesians, he's trying to say, think of all those things you've done wrong, your, your disobedience, your many sins, all of those things separate you from God. As a result of your sin, you are dead. You are unable to come to God. And then he says that this is such a problem in our lives because there are three forces at work. Three forces at work that that pull us towards sin, that pull us towards evil, that pull us towards the wrong thing. There's society, there's the devil, and then there's our own internal desires. Look at what he says there, right? He said, once you were dead in your disobedience, your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Just like the rest of the world. The Bible is saying here that the world, by and large, society, human society, human culture is anti-God. Now, 
our world is not as bad as it possibly could be. You know, we're not all out there just being as evil and awful as we possibly could, but there is something within human society where we are anti-God, anti-God's laws, anti-God's way, and that's why we're so greedy and materialistic and why there's injustice generation after generation. Humanity, no matter the era, no matter the, the ethnicity, we are to some degree anti-God, and so that is a force that pulls us away from God. The second thing that pulls us away from God in that passage is, look at that phrase, obeying the devil, that there is a supernatural force out in the world, that it's not just us being bad, but there is actual personal supernatural force the Bible calls Satan or the devil who is trying to influence, influence us away from God, away from the things of Christ, away from the things that are God-honoring and moral and good and ethical. He is, as it says there, he's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So there's two forces out there. There's just our society, there's the devil, and then, and this is the one that really hurts, it's not just out there in the world, it's in here. It's inside of us. Paul talks about passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. In other words, that sinful impulse, that evil impulse isn't just out there in the bad people in the world. It's inside every single one of us. No matter how old you are, we have that sinful inclination, that desire to go against God, to rebel against God. And this is everyone's problem, right? Paul says, he's, he's writing to Christians here, and he's saying, you used to live this way. And, and then Paul says, um, we were subject to God's anger. He's saying, all of us, every human, all of us, are in this predicament. We have this evil inside of us. That if you don't like the word evil, we have this sin inside of us. If you don't like the word sin, I don't, I don't know what to tell. Then make up another word. But the point of it is, this, these, this problem is in us, and it separates us from God. It alienates from us from God, and we can't overcome it. And as a result, we deserve God's anger, God's wrath, just like everyone else in verse 3. This is the human condition. Here's a few different ways to think about it. Every human, we're like an old creaky house with a bad foundation. You know, and you can paint that house. You can uh, try to, you can put some flowers on the outside of it and make it look good. But at the end of the day, it's that house has got a big problem that needs to get dealt with. And, and until you fix that foundation, until you fix that structure, you haven't really fixed anything, right? Another way to think of it, and this is maybe more in line with the language of Ephesians chapter 2, is that we are dead people. We're dead, right? That's what it said there in verse 1. You were dead before Christ. You were dead. So every, every human without Christ is like a zombie. We're, we're walking around. We can do things. Thankfully, we don't eat brains, right? But we walk around. We do things, but we're dead. We can't make ourselves alive. We need God to rescue us. We need God to save us. We're like a drowning. We're like a person drowning in the water. We're too far away from the shore. We can't swim back. We need someone to step in and save us, to step in to rescue us. We need someone to grab us and pull us to safety. That's our condition. And that's why I can say confidently that all of us need help. We all need help. Every one of us. We all need God's grace. Now, it's important that you understand how much you need God's grace, or at least begin to understand how much you need God's grace. Because when you accept God's help in your life, when you accept God's grace, then something wonderful happens. When you embrace God's help, it changes your destiny. It changes the direction of where you're going with this life and in the life to come. 
the reality is, I, I think if we were honest, and if we had more time to talk one-on-one, I think we would all get to the point where we'd, we'd admit, okay, I'm not perfect. Okay, I mess up. Okay, I do the wrong thing. Okay, I've done some bad stuff in my life. And the question is, what do you do with this bad stuff? What do you do with this evil? What do you do with this sin in your life? The reality is, according to the Bible, we can't be good enough to earn God's favor. We can't be good enough to earn forgiveness. And we try so hard as humans to be moral enough, to be religious enough, to be ethical enough, or we start to like make deals with God, you know, or we start to kind of say like, well, as long as my good works are better than my bad works, but then how do you know if that's really happened? So then maybe you start comparing yourself. You're like, well, I'm better than my brother-in-law, so maybe that'll get me into heaven, you know, or I'm, I'm, I'm better than my neighbor, you know, and, and you start to kind of try to balance it out, and it doesn't work. It would be nice if we could make sin magically disappear, but we can't. I mean, wouldn't it be nice to have a sin eraser like that uh, Mr. Clean Magic eraser? That thing's awesome, isn't it? Isn't that thing great? You have one of those? Like, you just, there's a, there's a stain on the table, magic eraser takes it away. Stain on the oven, magic eraser, you know? Yesterday, I had a lot of magic erasing to do as I made a mess in the kitchen, you know? Magic eraser is great. There's no magic sin eraser, unfortunately. Wish there was, but there's not. So what do we do with our sin? That's where God steps in. Because the good news of the Bible is that you and I can receive God's help, receive God's grace. The main story, the main message of the Bible is that all of us are sinners. All of us, well, I mean, before that, the the message of the Bible is that God loved us so much that He created us in the first place, and He longs to have a relationship with us. But then the reality is, because of our sin, because of our, our wrong choices, we are alienated, we're separated from God. And so God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth, the Son of God, God Himself, fully God, not God Jr., not God Light, (laughs) not 95% God, almost there. No, fully God. Jesus came to earth. He lived a sinless life. He died on a cross. And He died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins, to earn the forgiveness for our sin, for your sin. Not Not just mine, but certainly mine, but yours too. Sin of the whole world. And after three days, God raised Him from the dead to show that Jesus has the power to conquer death and sin. And the Bible says if you trust in Him for the forgiveness of your sins, you will be saved. Let's look at another passage in Ephesians that really brings this home. Ephesians 1, 6 through 7. So we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. You see what, it, what this passage says? One of the things it says is that when you understand God's grace in your life, what should you do? What do you do when you understand God's grace in your life? It's the third word in this verse. What should you do when you understand God's grace in your life? What do you do? Yeah, you praise Him. You praise Him when you say, wow, God, I know what you have, I, I mean, I see what you've done in my life. I see how much you love me. I see even though I'm a sinner, even though I messed up, even though I'm your enemy, it says in Romans 5, you love me so much that Christ came and died for me. That is your grace, God. That is your help in my life. And when you understand that help, when you understand that grace, the only response is to praise Him. So Paul says, we praise God for the glorious grace. God's glorious grace, God's wonderful grace, His wonderful help in our lives. We praise Him. We sing songs about Him. That's why we write songs like Amazing Grace. <laughs> we sing songs about God's grace because it's so wonderful. We, we go through our day just thanking God for how He's helped us. 
And then we realize that God's grace has not been given to us in little measure, but it's been poured out on us to those who belong to Christ, to those who trust in Christ. God richly pours out His grace in our lives. It's not like God just gives us just a little tasters, you know, just a little sample of His grace. He pours it out into our lives. He's so rich in kindness. See, this is what grace teaches us. It teaches us that God is generous, that He's kind. He's so gracious. He helps us so much, according to verse 7. He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son. Now, that's a really interesting sentence. The language comes from the slave market. Right? This is written in the Roman Empire. There's slavery, and everyone would have been familiar with slavery. And in this, if you were a slave, the only way to be to be taken out of slavery is to, was to be redeemed, to have someone come in and purchase your freedom or to purchase your own freedom. And so Paul takes this idea of slavery and says that every human, we are slaves to sin. We are slaves to that evil impulse inside of us and in the world. And because of that, we can't free ourselves, we can't overcome our problem. But here's the good news, God purchased our freedom. He bought our freedom through the blood of Christ on the cross, and He forgave us our sins. And because of that, what should we do? Praise Him! Praise Him! Worship Him! And it's at this point that we need to remind ourselves, well, how do you receive that gift? If this is what God's done for us, if this is what God has lavished upon us, if this is the gift that God has given us in Christ, how do we receive that gift? The answer is Ephesians 2, 8, God saved you by His grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. I don't know how much clearer God could have made it in His Word, but look what it says there. God saved you by His grace. It doesn't say God saved you by your works. It doesn't say that God saved you because you came to church today. It doesn't say that God saved you because you, you give your money or you serve at church, which are all good things to do. No, you, you were saved by His grace when you believed. So don't take credit for it. It's not based on you. It's not based on what you've done. It's based on God and what He's done for us. It's His gift to us. Trust that Jesus died for your sins. Make that the deepest conviction of your heart, and you will have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Today, you have the opportunity to receive this gift. And that's, that's the gospel. That's the simple message of, of the good news, the gospel of salvation in the Bible. And with that in mind, though, I just want to turn to one last point before we wrap up today. And it's one point that we need to address because grace can be such a confusing topic, and that's that most people struggle to believe that God's help is enough. Most, mo- many humans, maybe most, I guess most as it says on the slide there, most humans really struggle to think that God's help is enough. You see, the, the concept of grace is scandalous. The concept of grace is, is really challenging to us as humans, us as people. Because it, guess what grace means? It means that all of our achievements, all of our moral achievements, in other words, how good of a person you are, all of your religious achievements, all those religious things that you do in your life, ultimately, before God, none of it matters when it comes to earning your salvation. None of it matters. That's what grace teaches us. That we don't contribute to our salvation at all through our morality or through our religion. That's really hard for some people to accept. Grace is scandalous too because grace also shows that all of us, every human, we're all, we're all in the same predicament. 
It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're Mother Teresa or if you're a terrorist. We all are in need of God's grace. That turns some people off. They don't like that idea. They're like, I'm not a murderer. I shouldn't be lumped in with those people. Well, God's grace shows us that all of us have a need. Even if we don't all commit the same sins, we all have the same great need. Grace exposes the fact that there's really two ways to approach God. There's two big ways to approach God. One way to approach God is to approach God based on what we do for God. In other words, am I good enough? Have I done enough for God to accept me? Have I done enough for God to forgive me? And this is the situation that most religions of the world are, are in. They tell you, here's what you need to do in order to you know, be good enough, in order to qualify. That's one way to approach God. The other way to approach God is instead to focus on what God does for us. Not what we do for God, but what God does for us. And that's what the Bible says. Titus chapter 3 brings this all together. It says this. I've added these bolds, but he has saved us not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. I mean, that's pretty simple, right? <laughs> that's pretty straightforward. God saves you and me not because we're good, righteous people, but because of God's mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of His grace, He made us right in His sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. You see, the beginning of this passage, this is most people, right? Most people try to come to God and say, God, accept me because of the righteous things I've done, because of the good things I've done, because I've done enough good things. You know, depending on your religion, that might look different. In Islam, it means praying five times a day. In medieval Christianity, medieval Catholicism, it meant paying indulgences to get you out of purgatory and visiting shrines. All world religions tell us we have to do something, we have to earn our way to God. But the Bible says the problem is this, you can't earn your way to God. You can never be good enough. And so, in verse 5, God saves us, not because of our works, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins. Verse 7, in the middle of the slide there, because of His grace, He made us right in His sight. Because of His grace, because of His mercy, that's why God saves us. Now, some people say, okay, I get it. God's grace is a big deal. <laughs> so, it's a mixture. It's God's grace and it's me doing some stuff. <laughs> it's God's grace and me, you know, Doing good things, that's what gets me to heaven. That's also an error. That's also wrong. That's also the opposite of what the Bible says. That is called grace plus works, and grace plus works can never save. Only grace saves. Salvation is the gift of God alone. Romans 11, 5 through 6 puts it together this way. It says that a few of the people of Israel have remained faithful because of God's grace. His undeserved kindness in choosing them. And since it is through God's kindness, then it is not by their good works. For in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is, free and undeserved. Here's what Romans 11 is saying. There are some within Israel, this is coming in a longer section where he's talking about God's people, he's talking about Israel, and he's talking about Gentile Christians, and he says that there are some who are faithful, some Israelites even in this day who are faithful, but they are faithful 
because of God's grace, because God is kind to them, because God is generous to them, not because of their works. Because if God saved them based on their works, then God's grace would be nullified. It wouldn't be what it really is, free and undeserved. In other words, grace is a gift that God gives you. Recently, a couple weeks ago, I was, I was having lunch with a friend whom I've been mentoring, and we got to the end of the lunch, and he paid for lunch, and he said, there, I owed you that. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you bought lunch last time, I, I owed you that lunch. And I thought, you know, that, that's nice of him to say, but I was like, you didn't really owe me that, we're friends. Like, it's not like this is a, this is a strict contractual agreement we have, right? Like, that if you want to buy lunch, you can, but you, you don't feel compelled to do it. You know, when it comes to the forgiveness of our sins, though, it's not like you can say, okay, God, I see what you did there, and now I owe you. <laughs> now I'm going to try to pay you back, because you can't. We can't pay God back. When it comes to forgiveness of sins, in fact, it's a free gift, and we have to just receive it. We just have to accept it. We just have to take it. In fact, anything we try to do to earn it will nullify that gift. One of my favorite examples of this is Pastor Ross, Pastor Ross Anderson, one of our teaching pastors. He tells a story. Um, as a church, we used to always have a booth up for Roy Days, and um, for Roy Days, uh, we'd have some information about the church and about just kind of uh, invitation for people to come to church. And one of the things that the church would do is give away free bottles of water. It was hot, you know, it's hot, it's August, and just a, a way to bless the community and say, hey, you know, the church is here, we love you, care about you, give out free water. And one day, Pastor Ross is there at the table, and somebody comes up, and Ross gives him a water bottle, and the guy pulls out a dollar. And Ross says, hey, no, it's, it's free, you don't need to pay. And the guy's like, but I want to pay. And Ross is like, well, you can't pay, it's free, it's a gift. And the guy said, I always pay for what I take. I don't receive anything for free. I always pay for it. And Ross said, well, you can't pay for this. <laughs> and the guy turned around and left without his water bottle. <laughs> and it's such a good example of how salvation works. God's like, here it is. I love you so much that my son died for you. He went to the cross for you. Here is the free gift. Accept it. And if you try to pay for it, you can't receive it. All you can do is say, I believe, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I trust in you. I turn to you and you alone for the forgiveness of my sins. And if that is the cry of your heart, you will receive eternal life and forgiveness. If you say, okay, God, I received Jesus, and now I'm going to spend the rest of my life paying you back. Oh, you missed it. That's not how grace works. Grace is a gift. And here's the great thing about grace. God's grace can be received by anyone today. You don't have to have it all together first. You don't have to get your life all in order, you know, clean yourself up before you come to God. You don't have to get your act together. You don't need to get rid of all your sins, you know, stop swearing before you come to God or stop filling the blank before you come to God. You can come to God just as you are right now today and receive His grace. He longs to give it to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your grace. God, how desperately we need your grace. Lord, whether it's we're in the moment where we recognize that we're sinners and we need a Savior, God, in that moment, certainly we are aware of how much we need your grace. Or, Father, even if it's, you know, Christians and, and we've been following you for years or for decades, God, we still need your grace today as much as the day we first came to you, as the day we first prayed to you. And so, God, 
we ask and pray that you would pour out more of your grace into our lives. God, would you look at our lives and, and would you help us to understand and see and know your grace more and more. God, if we have been trying to come to you on our terms, if we've been trying to earn favor by being religious or ethical, or if we've been trying to come to you in any way on our own terms, God, would you just expose that in our hearts and show us the error of our ways that we may find real grace and real mercy to cover our sins. God, I pray that we would be people who receive this grace, and share it freely with others. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.